thank you for joining us for this broadcast from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our broadcast with others. Now, we take you to the pulpit of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. Uh, let's go to God in prayer, and then we'll get into our lesson together. God, we thank you so much for bringing us into this place this morning, to bringing us to this time that we have had to open up our hearts in song and, and in worship already today, God. We thank you for the opportunity that we've had to gather around um, the table of communion, the, the table of thanks, of blessing uh, this morning, to remember your son's sacrifice uh, that makes all of this possible, that makes our, our hope possible, our salvation possible, that makes the grace that we receive possible, God. We uh, are so grateful that every week we get to just stop and pause and and be united in that moment of remembrance. Thank you for that today, God. Now as we open up your word, help us to help us to be honest, help us to be real with our own lives, help us to be convicted, uh, help us to be pushed, help us to grow, God, in this moment as we study from your word. Help us to be true to it, be understanding of it. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So last week we opened up into the book of First Thessalonians and, and talking about my identity in Christ. And we have spent time uh, through the first part of this year, through uh, probably the longest kind of group and, and times of lessons that we're going to have together, talking about Jesus, talking about his life, talking about his teachings and his ministry and all the things that surround that. And the hope and the goal, the hope and the goal, goal is as we spend more time talking about Jesus, that those things of Jesus become more and more in us in our life. I love the song, Send the Light. Um, great song, beautiful song. We have a habit, and I don't know why we, why we have this habit. We're kind of taught this habit as song leaders sometimes, um, that it's okay to leave verses out of songs. If it's a, uh, uh, if it's a song with uh, four verses, if you're leading that on a singing night or something, it's just kind of habit of I'm going to get up and lead Send the Light, and I go, 650, Send the Light. I'll be singing the first and last verse. First and last verse. Why do we sing the first and last verse of songs? Well, I think one of it is because we're scared to death to be up leading a song anyway. And if I sing the first and last verse, that's just less of a song that I've got to lead. And we don't want to take up so much time. But I had a lady come up to me one time. I led singing in Savannah for a period of time uh, as their kind of main song leader. And I was the same way. First and last verse. First, second, last verse. Always skip a verse in there so we can sing more songs. And she came, she was a self-proclaimed poet. I never read any of her poetry, but she got after me one Sunday. And she said, I, she said, you're a great singer, but I don't like the way you lead singing. And I had been told a lot of things in my life, but had never had anybody tell me that they didn't like the way that I led singing. That just kind of hurt my feelings. Anybody ever had their feelings hurt by people? I have. Just join the club. I said, well, why don't you like the way that I lead singing? She goes, you don't sing all of the songs. And I'm sure I had some reason, and it was probably smart aleck, because at that point in my life, that was my default position. And had it not been for Blair, that would still be my default position most of the time. She said, these people are poets, and they've written something that only makes sense if you read or sing all of it. And I went and got to reading some of those verses that I always leave out. 
and they're just as beautiful, just as wonderful, and just as powerful, and yet we leave them out for a lot of different reasons. But this morning, Wiley did not leave out a single verse and send the lots. Matter of fact, he tried to add a few in there along the way. But y'all did great and kept on going. And Nathan, he actually admitted it was his fault and not your fault this morning. So we're moving in the positive direction together. But verse 3 really is about what we're talking about through this study of 1 Thessalonians, transitioning from a study in the life of Christ into a study of the church and us individually. He says, let us pray that grace may everywhere abound, send the light, send the light. And here it is. And a Christ spirit in everywhere be found. A Christ spirit in everywhere be found. If I was writing that for us and making it fit our lesson, I would write, and a Christ spirit in everyone be found. That's our goal. That the more we learn about Jesus, the more his spirit, God's spirit, the Holy Spirit lives and dwells within us. And when people look at us as individuals and as the church, they don't see us, but they see Jesus. That my identity is no longer mine, but rather my identity is who? Jesus is Christ. And that's what we're trying to do here. That's what we're trying in in the Thessalonican church here, the Thessalonian church. They had gotten that. They had understood that. They had had really kind of grabbed ownership into that. And they were living this in a great, wonderful, and powerful way. Now, as the scripture reading kind of ties in, it really sets up the whole story here. Is Paul wanted to go in one place, and God says, no, I want you to go somewhere else. And and he went to to this part of the world, and he began to preach and teach the gospel there, even though it's not what he had planned. He wanted to give in to what Christ wanted, wanted Christ's spirit to be the one that reigns and leads and directs, okay? And I love, and we talked about this last week, that because they went there, that church, especially the Thessalonian church, because of what they did and because that they went there, they began, the message began to ring out. From that place. The message began to ring out from that place. So really and truly, I believe that maybe he knew that if you go here, the message is going to ring out further than if you went and tried to do it your own way. And I love that idea. I love that he went and did what God wanted him to do. And because of that, he was able to have the word of God ring in a way that he never could have spread it on his own. Let's go to the next slide, please. And so last week we began talking about this idea. We began talking about our identity and we looked in chapter one at some different things uh, that, that we're trying to live in our life. And, and in chapter one, he, he kind of goes through this list of things that these people were. We talked about that last week. We talked about you know, our, we talked about uh, love, and we talked about endurance and hope, and we talked about our faith, that these are things that have to be strong about being deeply convicted. We talked about being imitators of all these things and then letting our life ring out, okay, and, and serving God. And then go to the next slide. After we talked about these things, we ask this next question. What keeps us from becoming this type of Christian? We said three things, our relationships, our routines... And desiring blessings from God more than God himself. But we also talked about how those things, especially the first two, if we really focus those, those things in the right direction, then, then they become a strength and not a weakness. Okay? So, 
how does this transition into the next chapter? Well, let's just look at the next slide. I think that's the next slide, the next thought here that we're going to look at through the first part of chapter 2 is next steps in becoming a ringing out church. Not ringing out in a bad way. We've been rung out before, some of us, and it's not always been a positive thing, right? But in a positive way, in a way that we echo this sentiment of the church in 1 Thessalonians, the way we echo the sentiment of sending the light from the song that we sung before the lesson together. And I, I read the first couple of ideas here, and it is very much goes back to something that I mentioned last week, and I think that it... Um, it echoes it because it all ties together. I said last week that sometimes we get too wrapped up in the idea of preaching. The idea of preaching. And, and what I meant by that is, is not that preaching is not important, but if we want to be a loving church, we have to live that, not just preach that. That they go hand in hand. And I think we see in this next section how these things go hand in hand in the idea that he, he's going to talk about our message, that which we must preach, that which we must teach, but he's also going to talk about the method in which that happens. So let's begin here with the message. As we think about being a church that is ringing out for God, what is our ultimate message? Because churches can be about a lot of things, can't they? Churches can be about a lot of things. They can be about ministries. They can be about groups. They can be about this thing, and they can be about that thing. But Jesus says it has to start with our message. That's what he talks about in the Great Commission. So what does Paul say about our message? Um, I'm going to read from my Bible. If, uh, if, if uh, Nathan, if you don't mind keeping up with us here as we go through this first section. Let's go to chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians. And let's read the first seven verses together. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of God, or with the help of God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. Let's stop right there. If, you're, if you write or, or underline things in your Bible, in this particular verse, underline his gospel gospel, okay? Underline his gospel. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we tr uh, trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. There it is again. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We are not looking for praise from people, <coughs> not from you or anyone else. Even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority instead. We were like your ch young children among you. He mentions their message twice in this particular chapter, in this particular section. What was their message? The message of what? Say it out loud. The message of Jesus Christ, of his gospel. At the core of everything we teach, at the core of everything we say, the core of everything we do, the message of Jesus 
has to be the most important. So what is the gospel? There's a lot of different, different definitions that I've heard through the years. I've heard people say that the gospel is the story of Jesus or the life of Jesus. The gospel is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I've heard a lot of different things. To me, the gospel is, by definition, the good news. The good news of what, though? Of Jesus, but what about Jesus in particular? I, I'll take you to Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. To me, this is the gospel summed up in a single verse, in a single moment, that tells us the most important thing that we could ever know in our life. For the wages of sin is what? Death. Sin. What is sin? We were talking about this in our Sunday night class uh, back a few weeks ago, and we broke this down, if you remember it, and we were talking about this idea of what is sin and this and that and the other. <coughs> and, and David Pickard came up to me after class, and, and he said, you know, he said, here's my definition of sin. He said, sin is all the things that you do that you enjoy that has to change. Sin is all the things that you're doing and enjoying away from God, outside of church, that has to change. And, 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 and I'm like, well, that, that's obvious. He goes, yeah, it's obvious. He said, but it's the hardest thing to do. When you're living outside of a relationship with God, all of the fun stuff that you're doing, for the most part, he said, sin. He said, the things you're doing with your friends, the things that you're going out and being a part of, he said, those things usually revolve around sinful things. But he said they also in the moment are some of the most fun things. But what does he say here? He says even some of the most fun things that you enjoy doing in your life, the cost of that is death outside of God. And, and not just death physically, but death spiritually. It's a separation. It's a gap between you and the most important thing that has ever existed, that has ever been, the creator of our universe, the creator of the world, the, 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 the God that sent his son and says, this is sacrifices for you, the God that sent his spirit and says, this is your comforter, this is your counselor. You are separated from all of that when you live in a life of sin. But, but, and here's where the gospel plays in. This is the gospel. The gift of God is what? Eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see, Jesus came and he lived, and he lived a perfect life so that he could be the ultimate sacrifice, so that his death, his burial, and his resurrection would have the power of bridging the gap from life of sin to life with God, from a life of death to living life eternal. And that is the gospel. Is that Jesus came and lived and died and was buried and was resurrected for you so that you could have this gift from God. And a gift is something free, correct? A gift is something that you do not earn. It's not something that you deserve. I, you've heard me talk about this, and it's kind of my, my gift joke is, you know, we all go through these things on, on Christmas where I have to buy you a $10 gift and you have to buy me a $10 gift. It's just kind of you know, something that we feel obligated to do. And, and, and really, what's, what's happened? We've just kind of exchanged $10 bills along the way. And yeah, I've got something, but, you know, have you ever gotten one of those gifts, one of those $10 gifts or $20 gifts, and you're just like, man, I'd really just rather have had a $20 bill, you know? Um, I got a gift from someone one time, and it was spiced peanuts. And I'm like, why did you get me spiced peanuts? Like, I don't like spiced peanuts, but they felt obligated to get me a gift, and we were obligated to get them a gift. To me, that's not really a gift. 
It's an obligation. Gifts are what? Free. They come with no strings attached. They come because someone loves you. Okay? And our eternal life through Jesus is just that. It's free of charge. Nothing you can do will ever earn it. Nothing you ever do can repay God for it. It's just for you because he loves you. Now, there's a lifestyle that we, we, we submit to as we come into that. But I want you to know this morning that that has to be our message to the world. That has to be our message to the world. That there is a God that loves us and sent his son as a gift so that we could have eternal life. And that we could walk away from a life of sin that leads to death. Now, a lot of people in the world are not going to want to hear that message. And that's not on you. It's not on you if they don't listen. It's on you if you don't share. But it's not on you if they don't listen. So don't think just because someone doesn't listen doesn't mean that you're not living your life as a disciple of Christ. Share the gospel. Let this message ring out of this place, whether it's ringing as individual bells as we leave here on a Sunday and on Wednesday, or whether it is a communal bell that we ring when we are all together. This was the message of Paul. This was the message of Peter. This was the message of all the gospel writers and the apostles as they spread the word in the first century, and it must still be our message today. But then the question becomes, how do we share that message? What is our method? And that's what I was talking about last week, was that if we're not careful, we get so wrapped up in letting someone else do all the work. Letting someone else do all the work. Let me, let me ask you a question this morning. And I don't mean this ugly in any way. Please, please don't, don't think that I'm trying to, to be ugly at any, in, in, in any way. But just, just be real with me this morning. How much work did you put in for this lesson this morning? How much effort does it take for you to sit right here, right now, and listen to me for 30 minutes? Some of you may be like, it takes a lot of effort to listen to you, you know. You see, we like it when other people do the hard stuff, don't we? We like it when I don't have to be as committed. I can come, I can be a part, but I don't have to be as committed. But a life of discipleship is about commitment and about action. It's not about just coming and listening to Matthew or, or David or, or, or whoever may be teaching. Neil's teaching in here on Sunday morning. It's not just coming and letting the teachers teach me and talk to me about love. It's actually going out and what? Loving other people. What's easier? Listening to me talk about love or going out and loving other people? Which one's easier? Just sitting and listening, right? Which is easier, listening and talking about the gospel being spread or going out and spreading the gospel? It's sitting and listening. And Paul uses the word preach in this particular passage, but it's not the focal point. It's not the core of his method, I don't believe. But let's see what he says that his method is. Let's, let's go to this next section here, starting in verse 8. <coughs> i got to get back to the right spot here. Starting in verse 8. Just as a, a nursing mother cares for her children, let's end in verse 7, so we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day 
in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel to you. See, they did preach. That is an important part, but it's not the entirety. Verse 10, you are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. There's a lot of different words in here that that I wish we had time to break down and talk about in a lot of detail. But what I see here in this particular passage is although preaching and teaching was a part of Paul's method, it wasn't the entirety. What I also see was equally important and even talked about more in this section was the relationships and how he dealt with individual people. Go back and let's look, starting in verse 8, look at these words. He says, So we care for you because, I love this phrase, we loved you so much. We loved you so much. Does it feel good to be loved? How many of you love being loved? So Vance I love Vance and have loved Vance his whole life. There was a period in Vance's life that he didn't love me. You believe that? There was a period in Vance's life that he did not love me. For about a year after he started to learn how to say I love you or respond to that, I would look at him and have him in my lap or I'd be like, hey Vance, I love you, man. And you know what his response was every time? I love mom so bad. And I'd tell him, Vance, I love you. I love mom so bad. And this went on for a year. Like, and I've never been like, really like, just genuinely like, what's wrong with my kid? But I'm like, what's wrong with my kid? Why does he not love me? Why does he love his mom so much more than me? Like, what am I doing wrong? And man, that day, I remember I was sitting on top of the steps in our house. And I was sitting there talking to him about something. And I looked at him, I go, Vance, I love you. He goes, I love you too. Y'all, I cried. I am not a crier by any stretch. I sat on that top step, and I'm like, my son loves me. And it felt so good to hear him say, I love you, Dad, and not, I love Mom so bad. Like a broken record, he still loves his mama more than he loves me, but he does love me. What if we felt that way every time we walked in this room? That when I walk in this room, I know I'm loved so bad. I'm loved so bad. And it doesn't matter what I'm dealing with. It doesn't matter what I'm struggling with. It doesn't matter how bad I've messed up. It doesn't matter how big of a fool that I've been. I know that when I walk in this place, this isn't a place of judgment. This isn't a place of condemnation. This isn't a place I'm going to get preached at. It's a place that first and foremost, above everything else, I'm going to be loved. I'm going to be loved. Our world is doing a fine enough job of judging each other right now, aren't they? You turn on the news and it's just one side judging the other, one side mad at the other, one side accusing the other. It's back and forth, Republican, Democrat, it doesn't matter which side you fall on. They are all just as bad about blaming and fussing and judging the other side. You know what Jesus says? We're not supposed to be in the judging business. That's not us. What business are we supposed to be in? The loving business. 
I love you so bad. He said, for we loved you so much that not only do we share the gospel with you, what did he say? We shared our what? Our lives with you as well. We shared our lives with you as well. Um, we are living in a, generation, in a generation in time where there is more connectivity than there has ever been at any other time in our life. I know more about complete strangers than I do about my next door neighbor sometime because of social media. I mean, you all know what I cook for supper half the time. If I turn my smoker on, those of you that follow me on Facebook, you know every time I put food on my smoker, don't you? You know every time. Eddie, I know every time you catch a fish. I know every time he puts something on his smoker. And I know every time he changes the light bulbs in his backyard. But are we sharing our lives with each other? We feel like we are, aren't we? But boy, gone are the days. I was listening to this comedian the other day. Boy, he hit the nail on the head. He said, there used to be a time someone comes to your door knocks on your door, and you're prepared for company. You're glad someone showed up, and you walk in, and my great-grandmother was this way. If you showed up at her house at 2 in the morning, 4 in the afternoon, midnight, you know what you were going to do before you left? You were going to eat something. She was going to bring you in. She was going to cook something for you, and you were going to sit at her table, and you were going to eat. She was going to welcome you in that way. Now someone knocks on our door, and this comedian goes, someone knocks on the door, and the dad's like, everybody on the floor. Nobody move. Maybe they didn't see us. All your cars are parked in the driveway. Every light in the house is on. But maybe they think we're not here. Because we don't want that interaction. We don't want to share our lives anymore the way we did just a generation ago. But you know what our world is, is hungry for? Our world is hungry for loving relationships. When our news media fusses and argues over everything, when our society gripes about everything, when social media turns into nothing more than a rumor pool of lies after lies, and he said after she said, what people hunger for is not a church that looks like the world, but a church that lives with the spirit of Jesus. I'm a firm believer that people don't pick churches because of doctrine anymore. And I'm not saying doctrine's not important, and I'm not saying we shouldn't teach correct doctrine, and when people come, that should be something we should teach them the gospel, and we should teach them the corresponding things that go along with that life. I believe that. What I'm saying is we don't live in a society anymore where people are picking the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ because we have the right doctrine. That's not the society that we live in anymore. Okay, It used to be. Uh, you rewind 50 years ago and what defined Christianity... What defined Christianity was your doctrine. I was listening to a preacher the other day. He went through uh, his undergrad and his master's in the late 70s and early 80s. And he said, I went through uh, these, these college classes. And he said, I got my degree in New Testament theology. He said, my job was as a minister was to teach proper doctrine so that I could convince you to come to my church instead of the other church because we have the right doctrine. 
Okay, again, I'm not saying that doctrine isn't important, but I'm saying in the year 2022, that's not why young adults, that's not why young families, that's not why people that we're trying to reach are going to walk in our doors. They're going to walk in our doors when we show them first and foremost how much we love them. Because they're not going anywhere. They're not going to church every Sunday, a lot of them. And they're not worried about what your doctrine is. What they're worried about is when they walk in this room, are they going to be loved? Are you going to be willing to share your life with them? Go, go down. He said, that's, he said that, that's, what, that's what we did. And then, and then he, he kind of wraps up this idea in verse, what was it, verse 11. For you know how we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. How does he say he dealt with them? With encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. He says, as we walked this life together, when the moment was appropriate, we encouraged you. We pushed you. When the moment was appropriate, we, we, we comforted, you, comforted you when that was what you needed. And then when it was urgent, when it was something that, that had to change, we urged you to do that. It was a process. But our method today, in this generation, our method today needs to be first and foremost around relationships. Make relationships with people so that they know you care about them, that you love them. And we talk about this as a generational thing. And um, millennials versus this group versus that group. I don't know why all they're called. I just know what the millennials are called. And, you know, everything's a millennial's fault these days of something that goes wrong is what they say. I don't know. But you know what I think? You know what I think? It really may not matter. 2,000 years ago, Paul says it's about relationships, about sharing your life with each other. And my guess is really and truly, even though we've gone through cultural shifts a lot over the last 2,000 years, I think it's always been about relationships. It was about relationships with Jesus. It was about relationships with the apostles. It was about relationships within the churches. People, you can have the right doctrine all day long, but if you don't love someone, they're not going to listen. So let's make sure that we understand our message. Our message is Jesus. Our message is his death, his burial, his resurrection, and the gift that comes along with that if we so choose to accept it. But the method, the method is not let one person do all the work. The method is... Let me go out and share my life with other people and love them so much that I want to share my life with them in an effort that I can encourage them and comfort them and urge them to walk in the steps of Jesus. That's our next steps of becoming a ringing out church. Let's close with a word of prayer and then the lesson will be yours. God, we thank you so much for this passage. And we thank you for Paul and his willingness in his life to accept his calling, to be convicted 
of, of knowing that he was living a life that he thought was for you, but was in the opposite direction of you, God, and, and changing those things, giving us an example to follow, uh, something to imitate, of allowing himself to just be filled of nothing but you. Help us to be that way, God. So that as we live this life, as we walk in this world, we can be ringing out Christians. We can be a ringing out church so that we make a difference everywhere we go. So that people know that we love them. Help us to just not talk about being a loving church, God, but help us be a loving church. That's easy for some of us. And for some of us, it's a struggle. And that's okay. As long as we continue to walk in a way that leads us to grow in the things that we are challenged with the most. Help us to make a difference in our community. And God, if so be it, bless us with growth in a numerical way as we focus on growth in a spiritual way. Help us to plant and to water. And we pray for you to give the growth in the most amazing way. We thank you for Jesus and his life and his sacrifice. We thank you for his willingness to empty himself and to give his life for us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. There is beyond the azure blue, a God concealed from human sight. If this program has been beneficial to you, please consider subscribing on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast provider. Also, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review which will greatly assist us in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. We'd love even more for you to join us in person. We are located at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to join us again. And until then, remember, we are a Church of Christ, caring for its community.